I'd like to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 2. And our passage today will be uh, 41 through 52. And as you turn there, I want to remind you uh, of a movie that may be too familiar with you, especially this time of year. It's a movie that was released in 1990. This may date some of you by Hollywood. And it's called Home Alone. Have you ever heard of that one? If you're not familiar with it, turn on your TV. It's, it's nearly uh, running 24-7 right now. Home Alone is a movie about a young man named Kevin McAllister and Kevin's whole family, more than a dozen people, were preparing to wake up one morning to travel to Europe for Christmas. They slept in, the alarm clocks went off, but still didn't wake them up, and all of a sudden they found themselves scrambling to get ready to go running late. Can you relate with that? And they made it out to the cars, they carried all their luggage, they're just running out to get to their flight. They don't want to be late for their international flight. They get to the airport and the mother says, I think I forgot something. The husband says, oh, you'll be fine. You haven't forgot anything. They get to Paris and she says, I think we're missing something. I just don't know what it is. And then it's at the luggage carousel is that famous scene when the mother looks at the camera and yells the name Kevin. And our passage today is very similar to Kevin McAllister being left home alone. Our passage today, as we walk through it, is going to be Jesus left in Jerusalem by his mother and stepfather. In Luke 41 through 52, we're going to see that just as it was a holiday season in the movie Home Alone, it's also a holiday season in our passage and also a holiday season for us. And we're going to see that in this holiday season in the passage that there is a hustle and bustle of getting ready to travel. And there'd be lots of noise and commotion and someone is left behind, someone very significant. And the question that's going to be asked throughout this text is a question that's been ringing throughout history. And it's a question that will confront you seated right where you are and confront me. But I'm going to read through this passage and see if you can find the question. In Luke 2, 41 through 52, we read this. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, he went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, that they went a day's journey. But they had began to search before, before him among the relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And, when, and he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I would be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying he spoke to them and went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Did you catch the question yet? If you didn't, we're about to find it as we walk through the passage together. First, we begin here. We're told that his mother and his parents, this would be uh, Mary and Joseph. 
They're traveling to Jerusalem. They do this every year for a great festival. There are three major festivals that any good Jew would travel to Jerusalem for. But if your finances limited you in your travel that you could only pick one, you would never miss the Passover feast. Here we see it's a, a big feast. It's a festival time. And they're traveling during a, a dangerous part of the country in a dangerous part of the year. They do it in caravan. This travel would be about a three days journey, perhaps about 90 miles or so on foot. So everyone traveled together because of robbers and thieves, because of tough terrain. They would share resources. They would sleep and, and travel in large, long caravans. And here this Passover feast is significant celebration. It is a magnificent celebration. 1,400 years prior to this event in the story, Israel was held in bondage. Held in bondage by Pharaoh. And God said to, to Pharaoh, through Moses, let my people go. And probably all of you know what Pharaoh responded, no, I will not let your people go. So God brought plague after plague after plague. And if you study the, the plagues that were brought to Israel, they were the plagues that attacked the false gods, uh, plagues that were brought to Egypt. They were plagues that were Pharaoh's false gods. They attacked them. So finally, the Lord said, I will bring death to the firstborn of Egypt's sons. And he told his own people, for you to avert the death of the firstborn sons, for your firstborn to be saved, listen carefully, you must take a lamb without blemish. Take a perfect lamb and you are to slaughter the lamb and you are to take the blood of the lamb and put it on your doorpost. It is the, the sacrifice of the lamb. It is the blood that will go around your doorpost that will cause the death angel to pass over your home. And then we see they, they do that. They're obedient. They slaughter this, this lamb and the blood is used to protect the home and everyone who's inside it. The Passover event is a, a true story. It is a foreshadow of the gospel that God would send the lamb of God, Jesus Christ himself, to be slaughtered on a cross, and it's his blood and those who have faith in his blood that death will pass over for eternity. Friends, do you believe this message? Passover was a beautiful picture of the Lamb of God who is to come from the point of Passover to die on the cross for your sins and my sins. And now we can look back and know that Jesus is the Lamb. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The actual lamb to take away sins was not a real lamb. It was the person found in Jesus, the God-man himself. Here we see that God became a man as a baby. He lived a perfect life. And we're celebrating that holiday right now, aren't we, in Christmas? But Christmas is not about the, how the world celebrates it, is it? Christmas is all about God's wrath being turned on his own son so that you won't have to receive it if you have faith in Christ. The word holiday comes from the word holy day. It, it was meant more back in the day. Whenever there was a, a holy day or a holiday, people would truly take off days or a week at a time. And they would celebrate the, the holy days by reading scripture and praising God. And we could look at our own calendar today and see there are things that are called holidays that truly aren't holy. I wouldn't consider Groundhog Day to be very holy. Even though that's my birthday, it is a good day. 
The Passover festival was a story of the Messiah who's coming to die for his people. Jesus is the hero of the Passover story. Just as Jesus is the hero of Christmas, we see here that Jesus is the true hero, but the people just don't know it yet. That the one who, this 12-year-old boy, is going to be the Lamb of God to die for their sins. Jesus is the center of the holiday, and he should be the center of people's lives then and the center of people's lives today, especially as we celebrate Christmas. The people were celebrating this holiday, and, and I want you to use your imagination for just a moment about how they didn't see Jesus as being a part of the holiday. Can you imagine celebrating Christmas in a world that doesn't see Jesus as being the center of it? We live in that world, friends. The world has a, a competing narrative with the true story of Christmas to distract people and keep them off course so that they will never know that there was a God who sent his own son to die on the cross for their sins. That is the true message of Christmas. So what happened here? The people forgot Jesus. They weren't centered on Jesus. They, they didn't focus on him, on him, his family. They left him in Jerusalem. The family had to travel. We're told that they went uh, up to Jerusalem, but on a map, this would be going down to Jerusalem. And the reason they would say up to Jerusalem is because they measured every direction by elevation. That's a lot more efficient, isn't it? And why would they do this? It's because they walked. Now, I don't know about you, but I could tell pretty quickly when I hit the slightest incline in my neighborhood when I'm walking. And I could tell you right when I walk that to go to my gas station, I'm going uphill. But when you drive a car, you hardly ever feel that. Well, for the people, their directions were up and down. And to go to Jerusalem from anywhere in Israel was to go up. And to come out of Jerusalem into Israel was to go down. And here verse 42 tells us, And when he was 12 years old, why is this significant? Because the Jewish tradition and custom tells us that a, a Jewish boy would reach adulthood at 13. And until adulthood, he's under the care of his father. His father was to, to be his guardian, his shepherd, to provide care for him, to make sure that he went to the festivals and, and feasts, to teach him the ways of the Lord. But once he's 13, he can go on his own. Jesus is still under the care of his parents. They are to shepherd him and guide him and lead him to this Passover feast. The father is accountable. Deuteronomy 16, 1 through 8 gives us a, a prescription for the Passover feast. We're told it's a seven-day festival, and it's not just a, a one-day party or an event. It lasts a whole week. That the whole city, the whole nation of, of Israel would celebrate this. Jerusalem would have just swelled. The population would just be so much more than it would normally be. The streets would be hustling and bustling with the sound of people buying and selling. The temple would be filled with people who are slaughtering animals to cover, to atone for their own sin. It's a very bloody holiday if you're standing in the temple area. It's a big holiday. And here we're seeing the verse 43 tells us, and when the feast was ended, here at the end of the week, as everyone is preparing to head back home, a three days journey, about 90 miles on foot, when the feast was ended, they, they were returning. The boy Jesus stayed in Jerusalem and his parents did not know it. Jesus never left Mary and Joseph just by observation. Mary and Joseph left Jesus. Being 12 years old, there, some could argue there should have been better care of this 12-year-old to make sure he was in the caravan. 
the scriptures don't emphasize any amount of fault there. It just tells us that the fact of the matter is Mary and Joseph went forward to travel back home and Jesus stayed back in Jerusalem. I have a picture for you of an artist's rendition, just a drawing of what a caravan might have looked like in that day. And it was very customatic and tradition to put the older people up front with the children because they would be the ones who set the pace. And then the older women would follow behind and follow behind them would be the men, typically. And they would protect the the pack from the rear, so to speak. So Jesus could have typically been considered to have been up in the front of this pack with the other younger children. But Mary and Joseph had no idea. There was no accounting for his whereabouts. Verse 44 tells us this. But assuming him to be in the group, they thought he was in the caravan, perhaps up front. They went a day's journey. This could have been perhaps as much as 30 miles. But then they began to search for him. And you can imagine the conversation Mary and Joseph had. Have you seen Jesus? No, I haven't seen him since we left Jerusalem. Well, have you seen Jesus? Has anybody seen Jesus? And the question that has been echoing through history and the question that's confronting you and I today is where is Jesus? Where is Jesus, especially in this holiday where that is supposed to be centered on Jesus, and eventually it will be by those who have their faith in him. They, but they began to search for him among the relatives. Perhaps he's with his, his other relatives. Perhaps he's with family. Maybe they know where he is. They haven't seen him. No one knows. Well, maybe he's with his friends or acquaintances. They look all over the place. Verse 45 says, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. This would have been another day's journey. This would require uh, stepping out in a risky area, perhaps by themselves without the caravan. It may have been requiring extra finances to get back down to Jerusalem. It's going to add more time to their travel. And the question is for Mary and Joseph, where is Jesus Mary and Joseph are asking this question of everyone, and they cannot find him. And we see here that they are in great distress, and there will be a sad day for any person who will stand before the Lord on Judgment Day, and the question will be asked of them, examining your life, your time on earth, there's one question, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus in your life story? Where is Jesus in your life period? Did you know him? Did you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Or is he absent from your life? Has your heart become so hard and embittered that you have no interest in spiritual things? Or maybe you've gone through tough seasons in life that the Lord brought your way to grow your faith, but instead your heart became hardened and embittered. I remember when Fletcher was two or three years old. My wife and I remember this well. We were uh, traveling, we were living in Dallas, and we took Fletcher, who's just a little boy, to this place that had little mini homes, made it look like a Christmas homes, all these sorts of decorations. It was a festive time in North Dallas, and there was cotton candy, and there were nachos and hot dogs, because nothing says Christmas like nachos and hot dogs, right? <laughs> and hot uh, cotton, uh, hot cocoa. So I told Wendy, I'm going to go up there by myself and get some nachos. You stay here with Sarah and Fletcher. And I'll come back and we'll sit down and listen to the music together. Well, I was only gone 10 or 15 minutes and I come back and there's Wendy sitting on the bench with Sarah. And I said, where's Fletcher? 
he's two or three years old. He was a little guy. She says, I thought you had him. There had to be a crowd of thousands of people. Well, I, I was panicked. I'm running all around. I saw uh, police officers. We didn't have cell phones with cameras and pictures on them back then. And so I think I had one picture in my wallet of the family. I showed the police officers, and they're, sc- they're scurrying all about trying to find a, a little guy about two feet tall. And finally, I, I heard the lead singer of the band stop the music. And he said, does anybody belong to this little guy bouncing up and down on the mic stand? <laughs> Fletcher loved music. And so naturally, he would have been gravitating towards the sound of music. I looked up on stage. Fletcher had walked up on the stage. He walked right up in front of the lead singer, and he grabbed the mic stand to hold on to it. And he was dancing. And so I went running up, and I grabbed a hold of him. Friends, that was only about 15 minutes. But I nearly lost my mind. I can't imagine having spent three days or two and a half days or part of one day and a whole day and part of another, which would have been three days in, in the Hebrew calendar looking for a 12-year-old boy. What, what could have happened to him? Could someone have hurt him? Could he be lost? Could he have wandered off? And God forbid, could somebody have, have killed him or kidnapped him forever? Verse 46 tells us this. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among teachers, listening to them. And not only was he listening, he was asking them questions. These would be rabbis who are seated together. This would be like uh, teachers in a teacher break room in a high school or a college. And they're conversing with one another. And in walks one of the students to sit down and converse with them. Uh, one of the high school students, or in this case, a middle school, middle school student. Sitting down was a posture of teaching for rabbis. And when rabbis were seated, it meant class was in session. So Jesus is walking into this doctoral class among the rabbis, the teachers of the day who are brilliant scholars, and he's listening to them, and he's asking them questions at 12 years old? Who could have imagined such a thing? Verse 47 shows us the reaction. The reaction of the teachers who listened and interacted with this very, very unusual 12-year-old boy. There is something different about him. Verse 27 tell, 47 tells us, And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, all throughout the New Testament, or the Gospels in particular, we find that people were in shock and awe when Jesus taught on God. And some people said, is this a new teaching? We've never heard this kind of teaching before. Why would they be in shock and awe, friends, when Jesus teaches on God? It's because he is God. If I sat down and interviewed you for an hour and I got to the church and I began to talk about you, that's not very much authority. I don't know you very well, and I just sat with you for an hour, and I'm, I'm re- re- telling your story or your life story. But imagine if you get up and speak about yourself. You will speak with much more authority. Someone could get up, a teacher, and talk about God, but it's not until God himself stands up and speaks about himself is there power and authority in the words of Christ. Why? Because he is God in the flesh. Friends, do you believe do you believe that you believe that you believe with absolute certainty that Jesus is God in the flesh? He is fully God and he is fully man all at the same time. Look at verse 48. I love this verse. And when his parents saw him, this would be Mary and Joseph, they were astonished. The reason this is such an amazing verse is because the word astonished in the Greek language it has a greater meaning 
than just astonish. This word in the Greek language, it means to be hit on the head with something hard. When they saw him engaging with the rabbis, when they listened to the things he was saying from a distance and they walked up on him, it was as if they were just hit on the head out of the blue. It was shock. It was sudden. It was awe. They were amazed by their own 12-year-old boy interacting with the rabbis as they talked about the law. As they talked about the word of God, Jesus is the word of God. And his mother said to him, and pay close attention here, because this is remarkable. She said, why have you treated us so? Notice here from the very beginning, friends, Jesus didn't leave them. They left Jesus. And friends, if if there's times in your life and my life where we're tempted to wander from the Lord, if we wander from the Lord because of circumstances, or maybe we just get stale or complacent in our faith, and we just begin to distance ourselves from the Lord, we're going to go through times where we don't have Him. And I don't mean that He's left us. God is omnipresent. He's always with us. But here we see in the story that when Mary wandered away from Jesus, she was in great distress. And it's during those times that in great distress that you have to evaluate and do an inventory of your soul. Are you walking with the Lord when you face distress? Or have you wandered away from the Lord and you need to get back to him? Friends, the scripture shows us that that Mary had peace when she found Jesus. And this is a bigger picture for someone who's living in a great life of distress, who doesn't have the Lord for any reason. There will be peace when you find Jesus. Maybe you're here today or watching online. You've never been here before. Or maybe you you don't even go to a church on a regular basis or you're not familiar with gospel-centered preaching or the teaching of the word. And the Lord brought you here and you don't even know why. Could it possibly be because you're living a life without Christ and he wants to draw you near to him? Could it possibly be that your life is in so much distress and turmoil because you've wandered from the Lord and he wants you to get closer to Christ? Mary says, why have you treated us so? And then we see here these words, behold, which means look or look, see. Your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. This is another picture which magnifies the distress, the heartache, the anxiety of what they were going through as they were looking for Jesus until they found him. This is a great picture here of any person who lives a Christless life. Any person who lives a life without Christ will live a life of great distress, sleepless nights, hearts filled with worry and anxiety and heartache, having no one to turn to but the things of this world for even the slightest bit of satisfaction, which could be drugs or alcohol. And when you think they may bring you peace, but they won't bring you peace. They'll bring you more heartache and distress. True peace is found in the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ himself. Verse 49 says, and he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know? This is the son of God. Mary, have you forgotten? Do you you not have faith in who Jesus is? Did you not know that he would be interested in spiritual things? That he's interested in the, the Hebrew text and he would be interacting with rabbis about the Torah. That he would want to celebrate God and be a part of what God is doing among the people. He says, did you not know that I would be in my father's house? This would be as if they left Jesus at church. And they go back to Jerusalem and they can't find him. And where would he be? But he would be at church. 
And a better translation should say, did, did you, could mean Jesus saying, did you not know I'd be about my father's business? And here he is referring to the temple as his father's house. Isn't that amazing? And if someone ever says Jesus never claims to be God, the son of God, right here in this very verse, we see that he's calling the temple the house of his father, his father God. Verse 50 tells us this, they didn't understand. They had no clue what he was saying to them. It was in one ear and out the other. As Jesus would later say in the gospels, they had ears, but they did not listen. They had ears, but they did not hear. They did not have faith in Christ, not yet. They did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Mary could have been saying to Joseph, do you have any idea what Jesus just said? And he would have said, I have no idea. Could you please tell me what he just said? Verse 51 says, and as he went down, this would be down out of Jerusalem. When he went down from them, and came to Nazareth, he was submissive to them. Jesus never sinned. He was always obedient to his parents. He honored them in every way. And here we see that he continued to submit to them, which tells us that he was never asked to be a part of the caravan because if he was, he would have gone. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. She didn't know what they mean, the scriptures tell us, but she wondered about them. She carried them with her, and she just kept pondering, what do these things mean? What is this saying about Jesus? And then verse 52 says, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and found favor with God and man. Jesus is wisdom personified. And when you need wisdom in life in any situation, the word tells us to turn to God, and he will ask, and he will give it to you generously. So now this leads us to the biggest question of the day. Are you ready? This big Christmas, we just had great worship today, and here you've heard the word of God. Are you ready? Take a deep breath on the count of three. One, two, three. So what? So what? What do we do with this passage? How do we apply it to our lives? I'm reading uh, my program. I'm in a school right now. I just wrapped up my fourth semester last night, and if you heard great uh, screaming of celebration in town, that was me as I turned in my last paper for my fourth semester. And a preaching book after a preaching book after a preaching book, I had to read 30 this semester and about 30 every semester for four semesters. It all comes down to the application of the text. Whether you're studying at home or studying in a group or hearing it preached, the question we all need to answer is, so what? What do we do now? Well, there's three ways we can apply this passage to our life. The number one is this, is by asking the question, where is Jesus? Where is he in your life? And as we enter into the, the Christmas season, you all know this is a crazy, hectic time of year. It is meant to bring peace to our soul as we focus on the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins. But the world makes it so chaotic and so busy with all the traveling to friends and families and parties and nachos and hot dogs and the hustle and bustle of this season for the next four weeks We've got to pause and ask the question, is Jesus a part of what you're doing? Or are you doing Christmas without Jesus? Where is he in your celebration? And here's one that convicts me. When you have non-believers who come to your home, whether they're friends or family or acquaintances, do you put Jesus in the closet? Or do you proudly proclaim him? Do you tell Jesus, would you wait outside for me because I don't want to offend my friends who don't know you? 
Or do you sit down and let Jesus be a part of your celebration? I was uh, in Nacogdoches for seven years. I was part of a great civic group that had all the town's leaders and prominent professors and teachers and judges and lawyers. And, and a couple of years ago, they asked a, a, a pastor in town from a church down the street to give the Christmas message. And the Christmas message I love because what a great opportunity to let the 200 men and women who may not normally hear the gospel, hear the gospel. I mean, the Christmas message in this secular group is meant to bring the gospel. Several pastors and I showed up. We were texting in advance. We're so excited. We're, we're praying for this new pastor in town as he was about to bring the Christmas message. And we sat and listened for 15 to 17 minutes. And he never one time mentioned Jesus. Not one time was the Bible opened. The message was a, a moralistic teaching. And it made people feel good about themselves. And I was getting texts from pastors in the group saying, what is this? Where is the gospel? Our hearts were crushed and broken and believers were walking out saying that was horrible. How could we have a Christmas message and not include Jesus? But friends, the, the same temptation is for you and I to go through Christmas and not include him. You've got to decide today how much of Christmas will you involve Jesus and where will he be in your celebration? He just, he is the central point of Christmas. Number two is this. If you have the son, you have everything you need. If you have the son of God, Jesus Christ, as the central point of your life, you have everything that you need. Not only in this life, but in the next. First John tells us, if you have the son, you have eternal life. How do you obtain eternal life, friends? You have the son of God, Jesus First John continues, if you do not have the Son, you do not have the Father. Do you have the Son of God today? Maybe you've heard this story. I don't think I've shared it here. But years ago, there was a billionaire in New York. I believe it was uh, upstate New York who died. He had no living heirs to his fortune. About 10 years before he died, his wife and one son were killed in a horrible auto accident. And so when the billionaire died, he had a will, and the will was to auction off all of his property. And so the town had heard about this, the whole state, and a thousand people showed up at the estate with line after line after line of garages. And in the garages were, were cars that were magnificent that a year's salary would not be able to afford. There were stables and horses and hundreds and hundreds of, of acres of green pasture it was a fortress. The house was absolutely amazing. So they gathered to have the auction. And as the auctioneer opened, he says the, the only stipulation that was left in the will by the, the billionaire owner was that the first item to be auctioned off would be a painting of his little boy. And they said, let's start the bidding at $25. And people began to holler. We don't want to picture that little kid. Get to the good stuff. We want the cars. We want the house. We want the, we want the money and the land. We want the treasure. We don't want that kid. He said, now slow down, calm down. Let's get, let's get through this. Will anybody give me $25? There's not a sound in the audience. 
Would anyone give me $5 for this portrait hanging above the fireplace of the little boy? Finally, the gardener who'd worked for this man for his nearly entire life said, I I love that little boy. I remember him well. We have good memories together. And he opened up his pocket and he said, all I have is $5. I will give you what I have for the son. And he took the $5. The auctioneer did the unthinkable. He took his gavel and banged it on the ground and on the the table and said, the auction is over. Everyone may be dismissed. Well, a riot broke out. How could you say the auction is over? All we've seen was the sun, the picture of the sun be, be given away, sold. And the auctioneer said, the rest of the will said, whoever gets the sun gets all the estate. The gardener became the billionaire receiving the son. Friends, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you place your faith in him, you receive everything that the son has. You receive eternal life. Do you have the son today or are you pursuing the riches of this world? Are you pursuing money and fame and fortune and a, a good 401 account to save you or is your faith in the son? Finally, with this, we'll end. Number three, is this season, this holiday season, This holy day coming up, we are to find ways to honor God in Christmas. We are to be militant in finding ways throughout your day to honor the Christ in Christmas. This world will not do it for you. You can watch Christmas parade after Christmas parade on television and see little or no talk of Jesus whatsoever. Our world wants to celebrate a Christless Christmas. Don't take the bait. One some ways you could do that is by reading together as a family or on your own, Matthew 1 and 2, or read Luke 2 and be in the scriptures and just go over and over the story. Read through the gospel of John that shows us that God sent his son to die on a cross for your, for your sins. Listen to Christ-centered songs throughout your week. Maybe in your commute, stop listening to secular songs for this season. And start listening to songs that will draw you back to Christ and keep your attention on Him. Look for ways, especially, friends, to reach your non-believing friends and family. They say it's at Christmas and Easter that poor people are more likely who don't go to a church to go to a church if they're asked by a friend. You have a wonderful opportunity in your hand right here to take this card and invite someone to our, our Christ at Christmas at Christ concert where they will celebrate Jesus It'll be centered on Jesus. There'll be prayers about Jesus. There'll be a short devotional about Jesus. It'll be all about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And this is a great gospel opportunity. I hope you'll pray about people to invite. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this passage. Thank you for the constant reminder that it's very tempting in the hustle and bustle of life, especially as we celebrate Christmas, to do it without Christ. And Lord, even as a person who's on full-time staff at a church, I could be very tempted to get caught up in meeting with folks and and sermon prep and, and not include Jesus in what I'm doing. Father, let each of us be convicted in areas where we must include Jesus in our lives, not out of obligation, but out of a desire to know him more deeply. Father, we know the gospel is not a bunch of rules that tell us to do something. That's religion. But the gospel tells us that everything that is needed for our salvation is already done. If there's anyone here today, Father, that does not know you or they're watching online, burden their spirit. Let them be distressed if they're not living a life with Christ. Let them seek him. 
Let them desire to know him and let them pursue him with all their heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.